0: just read the whole thing from cover to cover, that will give you a pretty good answer. Failing that, you could just read the Gospel of John from start to finish, I, I think that would have been better than, than the sermon that I'm about to preach, but um, we're going to come, we're going to hear what God has to say from his word, we're doing a bit of putting the puzzle pieces together, I'm not just hanging out in one passage this morning. Um, so please join me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Son. We come to you through Jesus this morning and we ask, Lord, that you would bless us by opening our eyes to see you, opening our ears to hear what you have to say. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if you have met anybody else in my family. Um, You may have met Sarah. You may have... um, But if you've met a couple of us, you'll probably notice that we're all... There's something similar about all of us. There's things where you go, oh, that's just like so-and-so. And there's been times when I've met people that I haven't known before, don't know that they're connected to my family. And after talking to them for about five minutes, they go, oh... Are you related to Alexander? You sound just like him. You, your, Or your gestures are just like him. Because we share some family traits. But those traits aren't shared between Alexander and I. They're shared because we have the same parents. There's something about us being from our parents which has shaped the way that we are. And it might be uh, genetically. There's something about us that we've been given... Because, you know, we're parent, it comes directly from our parents. Or it might be something that we've kind of been trained or learned from our parents over time. We're products of our parents. I'm, I'm made up of my mum and dad. They're the source of my physical being. And I'm sure you've heard that phrase, like father, like son. Or like mother, like daughter. Because we recognize that there 's that intrinsic connection where there 's things where you see a child uh, or a grown grown person and you see them do something, and you go that 's just like their parent. you can see the parent reflected in their offspring. Sometimes I, I catch my dad doing something and I go, "Oh why?" no wonder I do that because he does that that 's where I learned it from and there 's some things I wish i didn 't learn but but that 's the nature of of life. Parents are reflected in their offspring, and, and this is a reflection of a heavenly reality. God the Son reflects God the Father, like Father, like Son. And Jesus Christ, Son of God, is like our own experience with parents and offspring. The Son is an embodiment of the Father. His traits, his characteristics, his very being is from the Father. The Son is inseparable from the Father, and like him in so many ways. Now, now, when it comes to you and I, you can't say, Oh, I've met Samuel. I know his father. My father and I are separate. We're different. We're made up of different stuff. We're divided into two different beings. We've had different life experiences. We've, we've had different, dip, different upbringings. So even though I'm from my dad, we are distinctly separate. We could even be vastly different from each other depending on our upbringing. Unlike God the Son and the Father, they are not. They are not separate. Even though they are two persons, they're not separated. They're the same substance. They're made up of the same stuff. They're one God who along with the Spirit is expressed in three persons. They exist in three persons. The Father is the source of the son but they're not divided into two individuals they're three persons who are intrinsically connected together so much connected to one another that Jesus could even say whoever has seen me has seen the father whoever has seen Jesus has seen the father that's a powerful claim that's that's big that's epic I can't say look at me and you see my dad you might be able to get a bit of an idea about what my dad's like you can look at me my dad and you can see how i reflect his traits but you can't say if you've seen me you've seen my dad but with jesus jesus says if you've seen me you've seen my dad in fact hebrews says of the Son: the sun is the radiance of the glory of god in the exact imprint of his nature Jesus is the exact imprint of God the father he is thoroughly God exactly like God exactly like God because he is in fact God he shares the substance with the father like father like son now before I get carried away with just ranting and raving about this for hour on end, or hours on end I should remind us what we're doing here this morning We've chosen to spend a few weeks dwelling on the deep things of God by looking at the nature of who God is. It's a, it can be a bit heady, a bit heavy on the head, but we're looking at an overview. We started with an overview and then last week Steve looked at our loving Heavenly Father and who, what he's like. But this week we're looking at God the Son and then next week we'll finish off with God the Holy Spirit. And that way we'll cover each person of the Trinity. And we've, we've said that Trinity is a word that we use to describe God. It's like, it's something that's intrinsic to who God is, but it's not a word that you will find in the index of your Bible. It's, it's something that is expressed in the Bible, but we've used this word Trinity to explain, to, to summarize what the Bible says. And this is the crux of the Trinity, The crux of the concept is this. We worship one God in Trinity, a Trinity in unity. We don't mix the three persons, nor do we divide the stuff of God into three pieces. There is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. Their glory equal, their majesty all eternal. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Spirit incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. Yet, there's not three eternals, but one eternal. Also, there are not three uncreated, nor three incomprehensible, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. The Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Spirit almighty. Yet, guess what? There's not three almighties, but one almighty. So so the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, yet there are not three gods, but one God. Likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son, Lord, and the Holy Spirit, Lord. Yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father, alone, not made nor created, but the Son is begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. This one Trinity is before, is not before or after anybody else. There is none greater. There is none less than another, but the whole three persons are all eternal and all equal. Now, I know this might be a bit heavy on the brain for a Sunday morning, but I really want to share with you something of our amazing God. If you think other humans are complex, you know, I'm sure we've all got close relationships where you think, "Oh, this person, I just can't get my head around what this person is, why do they act this way?" If you can't get your head around other humans, imagine how hard it is to get your head around who God is, who is so much more complex than us. So this morning we get the privilege to dwell on the nature of God and to soak it in. And some stuff might just go straight over your head, but that's okay. It is like Pokemon. You do have to catch them all, but you don't have to catch them all this morning. You can come back and review later on. It's a deep topic. It's a complex topic. It's a mystery. In fact... J.I. Packer, the theologian, says of this mystery that the, the Trinity seeks to circumcise the formulation of the Trinity seeks to circumscribe and safeguard the mystery, not to explain it because that is beyond us. It confronts us with perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has ever been asked to handle. It's not easy, but it's true. This morning. We're not going to be able to deal in detail with who the sun is. It's a massive and rich topic, but I'm going to hit 10 things about the sun. In the time that we have remaining, I want to tell you 10 things to know about the sun. So if you get distracted and miss a point, that's okay. Just jump back on board afterwards. But if you're taking notes, make sure you leave space for 10 things to know about the sun. Let's hit them pretty quick and dive in. God the sun comes From the Father, Jesus is the Son of God who comes from the Father. He's the only Son of God, and if you're reading some of your uh, other translations, it will say that Jesus was the only begotten. And "got begotten" is not a word that we tend to use much, but it means something like um, the cause or fathered. You know, so and so fathered so and so, or so and so begets so and so. Jesus is begotten. He is. He's caused by the Father. The one and only Son fathered by God the Father. Generated by God the Father. Now there's other people in the Bible who get called Son of God or Sons of God. There's, there's some angelic beings that called, get called Sons of God. We get uh, Adam gets called Sons of God because he doesn't have an earthly father. Israel gets called a Son of God. and even, And even Christians, we can be called Sons of God. But we are not the only begotten, the only one true firstborn son of God. The other sons become sons by status. But Jesus is the son because he comes from the father, the substance of the father. Jesus stands alone in this special class. There's only one of him. There's only one who's unique son from the father. All the rest are not. The same as him. Now, when we think of sons and fathers, we often think of a time when there was only the father and then father procreated and then there was a son. Not so with God. There was always the father and the son, eternally generating the son from the father. He didn't become the son. He's always been the son and God has always been the father. They've always existed. And and Jesus gives us a hint about this eternal state. He said, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He was with the Father before the world existed. And Jesus says, I came from the Father and I've come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. He's going back where he came from. So that's number one. Number two, loved by the Father, the Father. The Son, God the Son is loved by the Father. Like a good earthly father and son relationship, it's loving. There's no animosity. They're in perfect harmony. They take pleasure in one another. The Father wants the best for the Son. The Son wants the best for the Father. They're on the same team. When Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke from heaven to say, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And the Apostle John also reminds us He says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. The son is in a loving relationship with the father. We never hear of the son doing anything that is unloving towards the father or vice versa. They don't need reconciliation. They never have relational breakdowns because they've always been in unity. Number three, God the son is sent by the father. There's a famous line from the Blues Brothers movie, I'm on a mission from God. Now, in the film, it's a bit of a trivial mission where they have to get the band back together so they can make some money, so they can save an orphanage. But Jesus is on a greater and bigger mission from God. Literally, he is on a mission from God the Father to rescue not just an orphanage. He's on a mission to rescue a kingdom, a kingdom a people for God the Father. Jesus wasn't on a rogue mission. He's not working across purposes. Not like um he's not like Luke and Vader. They're not father and son who are working across purposes. They are working on the same thing for the same purpose. He's not here trying to twist the arm of a grumpy Old Testament God, "Oh, if I if I go and do these things then God will be forced to take these people." No. God the Father and God the Son are working because God has sent him on this mission. Jesus came to preach the good news. Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies about him. Jesus came to call sinners to repent. Jesus came to die on a cross. Jesus came to give life. And all of this was sent by the Father. Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus came to save. He came to give life. The Son of God is on a mission, not of his own imaginings, but one from the Father to save a group of people to eternal resurrected life. Number four, God the Son works like the Father. Not only was the Son loved by the Father and sent from the Father on a mission given by the Father, he works like his Father too. When you look at the stuff that the Son does, it's either accomplishing the Father's plans or doing something that only God can do that leads towards those plans. Like Father, like Son. Jesus is in the family business. Like the Father, he's a creator. He's saving, he's judging, he's forgiving sin. He's raising from the dead, he's bringing glory to God. Jesus' work is the Father's work. This wouldn't have been any surprise to people a few generations ago. It used to be, as I'm sure you're all aware, that you just did what your family does. And, you know, that's where we get a lot of surnames from. If your family were potters, you would be a potter. If your family were smiths, you would be a smith. If you were a thatcher or a carpenter or a baker or a hunter, you followed as a son, you would follow in your father's footsteps. And this is exactly what happens here with God the son. He follows in his father's footsteps, so to speak. Now, we need to be reminded of this because we have career counsellors and we have career paths and we... Sons end up doing totally different things to their fathers. But back in the day, it used to be a, that um, the picture of a son was that he would follow his father. A, a son would represent his father. And Jesus is devoted to the work of his father. He's driven to complete the work set out for him by his father. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Number five. God the Son sounds like the Father. God the Son sounds like God the Father. He, he, he sounds like the Father because he actually says the Father's words. Jesus doesn't make pronouncements off his own bat. He is distinct as a person in the Trinity, but they're in complete unity so that all that he does and says is in accordance with the Father's will. Jesus says, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. When we open the scriptures to read what Jesus said in the gospel, we're not just reading the words of a mere man or a bit of a wise man who had, his, who had, some, had some cool things to say. It's the very words of the Father to mankind so that we might hear the words of our loving Father and so that we might learn the way to salvation are, are you keeping up with me so far we've we've hit 5 jesus the son of god comes from the father is loved by the father is sent by the father works like the father and he sounds like the father we're halfway through we'll be at the end shortly but the point stands that if you see jesus you see the father you can look at jesus and you can see the father no one has ever seen God. God is spirit. And even if there was some way in which we could see God, we would die. Our puny minds, our, our in our creatureliness, we cannot stand to see God the Father. We cannot stand to experience his presence. But through God the Son, we can see the Father. We can experience God. The Father has made a way For us to behold his everlasting beauty and goodness and love, he sent his son. Look at the son to see what the father is like. Like father, like son. Number six, God the son submits to the father. Next, we see that God the Son, submits to God the Father. Now, submission's a hot-button topic these days. For some reason, we have confused the idea of equality and submission as if to submit to someone means that you cannot be equal with them. But I tell you what, I go to work on a Monday morning and I submit to my boss, not because um, we are unequal, but because that is the relationship that we have, where I go and I work for him. I submit to him, but we're still equal But the same goes for God the Father and God the Son. God the Son, Jesus, shows that submission is not a roadblock to equality. God the Son is equal with God the Father and the Spirit, but the Son chooses to submit to the Father's will and authority. And we've already been seeing that in the verses we've been reading about how he represents and he does what the Father wants. Jesus doesn't come into the world to do his own thing, and he never wavers in his perfect obedience to God, both in living the morally ethical life and in accomplishing everything that the Father wanted him to do. He submits to the Father's plans. He submits to the Father's will. He accepts the Father's will, not from a place of obligation. Oh, I have to do this because this is my job. But he does it willingly. He does it humbly We're reminded from the Apostle Paul, he said about Jesus being found in human form. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus willingly and humbly submitted himself to the Father. He was at one time torn by the immensity of this task and he was in the garden of of, of uh, He was on the Mount of Olives and he was praying and he was torn up by the task ahead of him. But even so, he still went through and did exactly as the Father wanted him to do. He was obedient to the point of death. And his active obedience was in the Father's plan to bring us salvation. Number seven, God the Son becomes Human. He becomes like us. Now, we've alluded to the fact already that that Jesus walked and talked as a man. He was on the earth and he did stuff. Although he was eternal, he took on human flesh, he takes on the mantle of his own creation. In him, in Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And and when he did this, he didn't become like a half-man, half-god. You might think of the old um, Greek myths where there was Hercules and Achilles, both mighty warriors who had one um, parent who was a god and one parent who was human. And they became this kind of demigod. These guys were better than normal men, but not as good as a god. But that's not the idea when we talk about Jesus, the Son of God, God as man we 're not talking about someone who's kind of halfway between God and man, somebody who 's a bit godlike and a bit man like he's a hundred percent a man while he remains a hundred percent God it's not a math's equation, so don't tell me it doesn 't add up. This is the nature of him where these two natures are together, God and man fully God, fully man. Altogether, at the same time he's a hundred percent god hundred percent man god taking on human nature he doesn't just possess a, a spiritual body and he's not a a spiritual apparition as if he wasn't really a man but he just looked like one he was a man because jesus came became a man we can have access to the father Jesus reveals the Father and accomplishes his plans in human form, like Father, like Son. But also he does it like us. The Son has become a bridge between humankind and the divine nature of God. Although he is like the Father, the Son is also like us. And because he is like us, it means that God the Son can take our place. The fact that, oh, sorry, famously in the United States, you can't be president unless you are born an American citizen. And that makes perfect sense. You know, you want people who are, belong to the country, people who, are, who have an allegiance to the country, people who have a vested interest in the country and who have experienced the country. For us as a race of mankind, we need a leader, our own representative, our own mediator who represents us and who we are, who is like us, who shares our sufferings, who has been tempted like us. We need a saviour who has walked a mile in our shoes. Jesus is that man. The son of God became one of us so that he could save us. He became a man so that he could redeem us. He became a man so that he could fulfil all righteousness he became a man so that he could be the middleman between us and God while remaining a hundred percent of each. So there's a sense in which Jesus is like our lawyer where he's, where he's mediating. He's in the middle between us and God, but he doesn't just go as the middleman, but he actually deals with the results. We're guilty and he takes our guilt. We have shame and he takes our shame. We are sinful and he takes our sin. We need a saviour who is like us to deal with the problems that we bring. Because we are problem child. We are problem children. We are sinful. You are sinful. We have done things where we have deliberately rebelled against what we know is right. We have all fallen short. We deserve God's rejection we deserve to be sent away so the father sends his son to save a people to save a people from their own destruction to save a people from the direction that they were heading to turn them around and to bring them back to the loving gracious arms of the father we're a messed up race rotten to the core we have all sinned But the Father wants to save a people for Himself, and the Son comes and does it by going in our place. Paul said, In you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, the Son has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. Jesus' body, His blood was shed in our place. Jesus was crucified. Jesus suffered for us. The Son has reconciled us to God, taking our place. The punishment that he received will bring us peace. God the Son saves people for God the Father by taking their place, by being their redeemer, by being between us and God. He's our mediator. He lived the life that we could never live because of our sinfulness. And he paid the debt that we could never pay because of our sinfulness. And he gives eternal life freely to you. He wants to show God's love to you. He wants you to know God's grace and God's mercy. But he only takes your place if you want him to. If you want to try and live your life your own way, do your own thing, that's fine. You can try facing God on your own terms and you can see how you go. But the evidence seems to suggest that people who try and do things their own way aren't generally on God's side and God isn't pleased with them. Jesus gives himself to die in our place so that he can deal with our problems and we can receive that gift, the free gift. But it's only for people who take up the offer. But how do you take up the offer? How do you receive this gift? All it takes is rejecting everything that's against God and receiving the loving grace of God in the free gift of eternal life. All you have to do is get on God's team. We call this repentance and faith. Turning away, being sorry, being contrite, rejecting everything that is against God and turning to things that are for God and receiving his mercy. By saying, yes, I want that, I will receive that. I will be loyal to you, I'll be on your side. That's pretty fair, right? I mean, if God's going to give you a gift and all that he requires is that you be on his team, that's pretty good. Imagine you wanted to play rugby for Australia and the coach came to you and he said, look, we want you to be on the team we know that you're never going to win any matches for us, but we want you on our team. And look, you can have the privilege of the perks, you can get the pay packet, you can you can have it all, but all we want you to do is to, is to be on our side, not to play for the other team. We want you to play for our team. That's pretty fair, right? In order to receive the gifts, in order to receive the status, all you've got to do is to be on the team and reject playing for the other team. God gives his gifts to us in his kingdom. He says, you can be in my kingdom, but all you've got to do is to be for the kingdom. You've got to reject everything that is contrary to this kingdom. You've got to believe in me, trust in me, and to repent from everything that is contrary to me. That's a pretty fair deal, right? Eternal life for being on God's team. God the Son will give you eternal life. All you need to do is get on his team. Be loyal to him. Repent and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he will save you. He came in our place to save us. He came to bring us the loving Father by accomplishing the mission of the Father. Coming to the end, number nine, God the Son sends the Spirit. See, Jesus didn't just come and accomplish... The work and then disappear. He came, he does the work, but he sends the Spirit to keep doing the work. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus came, he died, he rose from the dead, and then he went to the right hand of the Father, but he didn't just leave us in the lurch, he sent the Spirit of God to continue his work Steve will talk more about the work of the Spirit next week. But here we just need to remember that the Son's work doesn't end when he leaves the earth. The Spirit continues the work. He's not here bodily anymore, but he is here in spirit. Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Number 10. The last thing to know about God the Son for today is that God the Son rules all things. God the Son rules all things. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. The Son is not only one who creates and saves, but He will rule, and even now He is ruling over all things. He is at the Father's side while the Father puts all things in subjection to Him, while He makes the earth a footstool for Him. If you have some time, read through Revelation and see how the Lamb, who's another name for Jesus, is set up as the, as the ruling and reigning. King, he's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The Son of God is our boss. He's the one we obey. He's also the one who is seeking the best for His kingdom. No, no kingdom, no king deliberately tries to to undermine his own kingdom. And Jesus, the best of kings, is building and establishing and setting up His kingdom. And so, even though He reigns now, He will reign in fullness when he makes everything new, when he returns and makes all things new. The way we live our lives is not to please ourselves, not to please our manager, not to please our spouse, not to please the government. We live to please God by submitting to Jesus, the Son of God, who is our King. Right, we've covered a lot of ground this morning and I hope you've been able to keep up But we've been exploring who our Savior is and why he can save us, how he saves us. We've especially seen that the Son is our access to the Father and we see that the Father, we see the Father by seeing the Son. The Son is our only way to God the Father. There's no other ways. There's not many roads to heaven. There's one road and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We've seen that Jesus, the Son of God, comes from the Father is loved by the Father, is sent by the Father, he works like the Father, he sounds like the Father, he submits to the Father, he becomes like us, he takes our place and saves us. Then he sends the Spirit to continue his work and he rules over all things, both now and into eternity. Friends, we have a great, great saviour. God himself who came as a man to save us. And not only does he save us so that we can kind of remain as some kind of lower class beings, he came and he said he will make us children of God. Now, we won't ever become like the sun in his fullness, but it, we, as we read before in John, to all who did receive him, he who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We can get adopted into the royal family by believing in this son of God. We will, we will not be born, not of blood. We won't be born of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but we will be born as children of God, from God, for God, through the son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent the Son to save us. We thank you that you sent the Son to reconcile us to you. And Lord, we don't deserve it. We recognize that. But we ask, Lord, that you would receive us, that you would pour out your mercy and your grace on us. And we thank you that you are doing that. You have done that through the Son. We thank you, Lord, that you've sent the Spirit to continue the work of the Son. Lord, we ask that you would help us to, to serve you, to be on your team, to not work against your purposes, but to actually work for your, your purposes. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to submit to you as king. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful, complex saviour that we have. Lord, we can't kind of get our heads around the whole thing, but we thank you for allowing us to know something of you and your goodness. And we thank you, Lord, that you've revealed yourself to us through the Son, so that we can know you, we can see you through the Son. And Lord, it is in the name of the Son that we pray. Amen.